0: Welcome back to the Art of Charm podcast. I am AJ. And I'm Johnny. And we are very excited this week because we are covering a topic near and dear to our hearts. Over the last four weeks, we've delved deeply into how to become a high-value individual that attracts other high-value cooperative people into your life and looks to give value to those around you. And when you're on this self-development journey, there are going to be situations where people look to take from you, where people look to get into conflict with you. And today, we're going to give you 10 ways to maintain your resolve and stay high value in conflict situations, whether it's personal or professional. If you've been digging the new show content and these Toolbox episodes, hit us up on social media, at The Art of Charm on Twitter and Instagram, Send us your questions or any topics you'd like us to cover in upcoming episodes. We're excited to engage more with you on socials. You can find us there.
1: Yes, we love when you guys reach out to us. And if you're interested in our live programs that cover these topics and more, please hit us up at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. Without further ado, high value conflict resolution.
0: When it comes to adult life, conflict is inevitable. I know it's something growing up that I tried to avoid. My father was a very conflict-averse guy, and he gave us a silent treatment growing up, so I didn't really have the tools available to me to handle conflict, and it's something that I've really struggled with in my adult life. So we're going to dig into how to handle yourself in conflict. Now, Johnny, I know there's a caveat
1: here that you yes. want to give to start. I think JFK said it best let us not negotiate out of fear, but let us never fear to negotiate. You made mention that your father had been pretty conflict-averse, so you hadn't found your way through it. And I know for myself, it was certainly something that I didn't want to have to deal with either. However, you did say that being an adult, you're going to have to manage negotiation at certain times in your life. What I had found, especially with our clients, it's, not really the fear of negotiation itself. It's just not having the plan or any tools to go into it with. I'm going to bring this up because I know that you're an avid golfer, or at least you're trying to get out there. I could imagine for anyone going to the driving range, they hit a bucket of golf balls and I said, hey, give me a ring when you can hit these things consistently and straight. It's going to be a while for me to get that phone call. I'm going to guess for most people, they would rather give up than to stick that out because that's a difficult thing because there's so many different working parts to getting that ball to go straight and consistently however if you have a coach show you a couple things that to work on so that you can see some improvement and allow you to know that you're moving in the right direction all of a sudden that frustration gets a little bit more pointed and it starts to become a little bit more fun and then you'll start to make some progress which will fuel you into wanting to get back to that driving range and continue practicing. I see conflict resolution much in the same way. It has so many different working pieces If we can distill it down to just a few key points to keep in mind when putting yourself into negotiations, just like golfing, this could be something that can turn into being fun. I think there's definitely a lot of nuance to it. We're not yes. going to delve deeply
0: into all the different types of negotiation no. and Our hope in the future is to bring on some guests to break this down further for you because it's something that we really value and trying to learn ourselves. But there are some underlying foundational principles that we're going to outline today that are that foundation for savvy negotiations and allowing you to feel good in situations where there's conflict. And I know for a while in my life, I struggled to feel good in those. I struggled to walk into those situations confidently. And our hopes today is to break this down so that you can walk into that next conflict situation knowing some fundamentals to feel good about it.
1: It's funny to say that. I was just thinking, like, how many times will you find yourself giving conflict negotiation a a shot only to lose because you didn't have the proper tactics, it just blew up in your face? How many times for that to blow up in your face before you find yourself never putting yourself into that position again?
0: Yeah, you're going to avoid it after a Two, couple times. times. And we talk about this, right? Negative experiences in our lives are the formation for yes. limiting beliefs. A negative outcome starts to get rationalized by our brain and we start to fill in the blanks and create these beliefs about what we're capable of other people's interest level in us and fill in the list from there. So these negative limiting beliefs are all stemming back to one or two of these negative moments where conflict arose, where you didn't get the result you were looking for. One of the things you want to start out with is just defining three criteria that we can judge all negotiations based off. William Uri and Roger Fisher came up with these, and this is like a rubric for you to determine whether or not the negotiation's moving fairly. So The first one is it should produce a wise agreement if agreement is possible at all. Obviously, a good negotiation leads to agreement, right? We can all agree on that part. The second point is it should be efficient.
1: No one wants to be in conflict that lasts years. That doesn't sound like fun. No, not at all. And usually if you get to that point, you want this over as fast as possible because both parties want to move forward. The third point is it should
0: improve or at least not damage the relationship, right? That is a successful negotiation. So we want to make sure when we look at these conflict situations, we're doing our best to avoid it blowing up in both parties' faces, right? Ultimately, both parties must be flexible in order to reach that resolution. The first thing we want to talk about is how we want to come to the table. What we're big on here at The Art of Charm is being prepared. When we talk about first impressions, when we talk about networking, we talk about conversation, it's doing that homework so you're prepared going into it. Same thing here with conflict, right? If we know we're going to encounter conflict, let's come in prepared. Do your best to come to the table presenting that value up front and being optimistic that things will go as planned.
1: That is a great place to start. And if you go into it looking for the win-win and allowing the other party to know that that's what you're doing, then two parties can work together to look for that. I mean, if you know that you're going into a conflict, but the other person has the best intentions for the both of you, well, that's like, okay, well, sign me up. Right. If I'm going into a negotiation thinking that the other guy is looking to get one over on me in any way that he possibly can, how am I supposed to feel good to work through something? and we'll probably talk about a few things to do when things do break down. I don't want to get too much into that because that's- The goal where- of this is to avoid the breakdown entirely. Conflict arises everywhere. Yes. It arises in the workplace.
0: It arises in your daily life. We do some silly games and boot camp around picking your car up from the mechanic, getting in a car accident, right? These are all situations where adults are going to be in conflict or maybe they don't agree. So that's what we're delving into here. Coming in with the mindset that things are going to work out things will go as planned is a healthy mindset to start when it comes to dealing with people in conflict.
1: You know, one of the things that I see a lot on television, for instance, Shark Tank, I know you're a big fan. It's a really interesting show and you can learn a lot from it. And I think a lot of people who listen to the show probably watch that show. When it comes to television, there is an editing process where they have to make the characters of that show interactive and they need to build a narrative outside of that. You have Four amazing business people sitting on those chairs and hearing these pitches. I know that Mark Cuban, for the most part, is a guy who's looking for a win-win. He's not looking to squash the opponent. And he wants everyone around him to make money so that if anyone else in his circle get a good pitch, that he gets brought into it. And the only way that you're going to be on the tip of everyone's tongue as somebody that they want to see involved in these businesses if you're positive, you're looking for the win-win, and it's you're always looking for everyone to make money. By the time these shows get edited, you start to see certain people, you know, they'll make, okay, for this episode and this pitch, we'll make Mark the bad guy, and he's trying to get one over on right. the girl. Shows or, about
0: conflict, right? Yeah. It's like a car crash. As humans, we're drawn to it, and
1: that's how a reality show gets off. Exactly. So if you watch enough of that stuff, it starts to affect how you see all conflict of this is the way it's going to go down this person's the bad guy for the most part good business people look for win-wins in all their situations and they want to continue to build good healthy working relationships in any sort of business proposition they enter into and listen in a conflict situation when you vilify the other party it's
0: going to be even more difficult to resolve Right When you make the other person out to be the bad guy, out to be the villain, you're going to have a very difficult time meeting anywhere in the middle, right? When it becomes that good and evil, then you don't want to give an inch. You don't want to give a millimeter.
1: Yeah. All of a sudden, you just define the terms. It's good versus evil. Who wants to give up an inch to that? So we're talking about looking at this as even in conflict, both sides can be good.
0: We don't have to vilify the other person. That's how we can start to get to that win-win. How else are you going to cultivate meaningful relationships if you look at everything as a good
1: versus evil, I'm right, you're wrong scenario? You know, one of the things that we'll probably touch on a little bit later is somebody who is lacking the understanding of the other side. Empathy lenses, we're going to be discussing that a little bit. Possibly someone on a pathological side of narcissism or sociopathy it's hard for them to look for a win-win because everything is a win or lose situation. And when you paint everything in that manner, that's how you're going to go after it. And if people see that, it's like, I don't want to work with that person. All we're talking about here is cultivating
0: uh, air around you and relationships around you that can avoid conflict in the first place. But when you do fall into these situations, labeling people and attacking people is not how we're going to get ahead in a conflict scenario.
1: If you're in a, let's just say, a networking event. You want your name being associated with, I made a lot of money with that guy. Or that guy was a pleasure to work with. I had so much fun. I can't wait to enter some more ventures with it. Not that guy's cutthroat. I almost lost my shirt trying to work with that guy. Like, you know, hubris is a good thing. Pounding yourself on the chest of, I'm such a badass, and it's an easy way to think in that manner. And that paints how you're going to, you see conflict. We just did a whole series on being high value. And it was never about getting over on somebody, being tougher than somebody. Right? It was about the win-win, being cooperative. What can you add to this situation? That is no different than how we're looking at this here. Now, the second thing we want to talk about is after
0: we fix our mindset going into conflict, understanding that both sides are good, both sides can win, which should be the goal of a good negotiation. The second thing we want to talk about is detaching yourself from the emotion of it. And this is difficult. Allowing yourself to put the emotions in a bucket over here and then start to look at it from a more logical standpoint of how can we get to a compromise, right? It's not about how can I repair the damage to my ego? How can I repair the negative emotions that I'm feeling? Because that is not a negotiation. You're not going to be able to negotiate on those terms. So we got to separate our emotions from the
1: conflict. It's almost impossible. However, if you understand the difficulty that it is to separate the two, you're better off moving forward, knowing that that is an issue that you need to be aware of. And especially having somebody you can bounce ideas off of, of pros and cons, so they can let you know if you're biased on any of those.
0: One of the things we talk about in boot camp is how tied to our emotions and thoughts we can become. And sometimes we can allow our emotions and thoughts to overwhelm us to the point where that's what we identify with. And a lot of our tactics in boot camp are about separating your emotions and thoughts from who you are as a person. This diffusion, when we can separate and go, you know what, that's an emotion, that's a chemical reaction in my brain, that doesn't define me. You know, that low value thought, that doesn't define me. That's just a thought. I have high value thoughts as well. That diffusion is really important to combat this anxiety that we feel in social situations. Well, it's the same thing in conflict. If we become fused with our anger, our rage, our hurt ego, then it's gonna be very difficult to resolve any of that conflict. One of the things that we talk about that's so helpful for this is mindfulness. And Headspace, an app on the iPhone, not sponsored by them, I just happen to love it, and we recommend it to a lot of the guys coming through the boot camp a very simple, easy way to dip your toe into meditation. Clearing your mind for five, 10 minutes at a clip, understanding that thoughts and emotions are gonna bubble up no matter what, these are reactions, but your ability to diffuse yourself from them instead of define yourself by them is gonna be really impactful on your ability to handle conflict. And the other point that you bring up that I've found through the last decade plus of all of the conflict that I've been in personally and business-wise Having those people third party to the situation that care about you, but also are willing to be honest with you, not protect your ego and try to become the person that agrees with you, but instead can take a step back and go, listen, AJ, we're gonna be talking about this in a year and you're not even gonna be frustrated by it. You're gonna laugh about it. Let's put some perspective on here. If you know that you're kind of wired to turn everything into a bit of a catastrophe and really dig your heels in, having some people around you who you can say, hey, this is what I'm going with. And they go, that doesn't sound like a conflict to me. Actually, that sounds pretty manageable. That outside perspective can help us with this diffusion of our emotions. And Johnny, in talking about that, we've bounced ideas off each other over the last 10 years. And we've always looked outside of the business for this advice, for this ear, to give us an opportunity to not be so close to the problem, not be so close to the conflict.
1: It's funny you should mention that. And I would like to say that I've never had an issue with that, but that's just not true. I had to do a lot of work on myself to get to that. For myself as an artist working in bands, there is a diplomacy that I had to learn. When you have, let's say, and I've played in some bands that had some decent, creative people and writers, and it would come down to you know what songs are going to make the record, what songs are going to make the set. And you have to be able to give and take and you have to be able to know that this song that my buddy had brought in is way better than mine. And then also pick your battles and what you're going to fight for as well. And there's a lot of give and take in that. And of course, when I first got involved and I found that my songs were getting passed over for another guy, like it's easy to get mad and frustrated and say, well, I'm taking my guitar and I'm going home. (laughs) Yeah. Very easy thing. Or... I can learn to get better. I can come in with better ideas. I could come in with being more cooperative to work with everybody. And of course, with those things saw my stuff get more and more pushed to the front, which was a great feeling. And it's funny because I know that I had brought this anecdote analogy to you before when we've had a lot of cooks in the kitchen for certain things in the company. And how that feels when one guy has this idea that's been vetoed and he's still trying to cram it down everybody's throat. And then every week at a meeting, here's this one guy with the same riff, as I call it, right? He brought in this riff, we all vetoed it. And here we are another week, same riff. Here we are a week later, same riff. It's a waste of everybody's time. It's insulting at the same time that you don't think, well, didn't we just already go through this? And why are we going through this song and dance for another hour? on another meeting. It's better to go, I've tried this a couple different times. It's not working. I'm taking it back to the shop. I'm going to reconfigure it, see if I can change it up a bit and see if that gets some traction.
0: Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all.
1: Listen, being tied
0: emotionally to yeah, the yeah. outcome, being tied emotionally to the harm that's being caused you during conflict, it's totally understandable. It's human, but it's an instinct that good negotiators, people who are adept at handling conflict, allow themselves to separate from. And one of the things we're saying is find an ally who can do that for you, who can give you that dose of perspective. It has helped us immeasurably along the last decade in running the business. In those moments where we do think this is war, this is the biggest conflict of our lives, you look back year or two years later, what conflict, right? It really oh, yeah. wasn't that big of a deal. But in the moment when your emotions are revved, it can be a big deal. The third point we want to talk about, forget about arguing your case from position. When you try to out-logic someone by saying my position is the right position, All you're actually doing is forcing the other
1: person into
0: holding their position.
1: When it comes to position, whoever is stronger or the most arrogant is the one that's going to win out. Not the idea. No. (laughs) So this is something that
0: took me probably the first five years of running the company to really understand. I came in and I was having some self-esteem confidence issues myself, having come out of graduate school and not really feeling a high of self-worth dealing with the academic research community and and the way that my research didn't get the traction that I thought it would. My point in everything and leading the team was, well, I'm right. Yeah. Logically, this is right. And I would gladly go through the scientific reasons that what I'm saying is right. And then I would get so frustrated when I wouldn't see any bend in the other person. Even when confronted with evidence that they're wrong, they're not going to bend. And it took me through my 20s to really realize that, hey, just because your position is right doesn't mean you're a good negotiator, doesn't mean you're going to win. So taking a step back and realizing that arguing from position is one of the worst angles to take if we're trying to get to that yes.
1: If you find that you feel that your position is the correct one, invite critique. What is it about my position that I am wrong about? And listen to what they have to say. You might learn something about that position that is the reason why they're not going along with it. Everything is up for ridicule and criticism in order to strengthen its validity. And what I want to talk about with that, offering
0: an opportunity and soliciting some feedback on your position instead of holding firm, that is so powerful about that is it also projects an air of confidence, right? If you're willing to ask people, hey, tell me what I'm not seeing, show me what I could be missing out on perspective-wise, you give them a platform to actually have a conversation with you versus digging their heels in. And it allows the other person to feel good. So you're taking the confident position, you're offering an opportunity for them to communicate, which is what they want in negotiation. If we come from the position that I'm right and you're wrong, then what we're essentially saying is, I don't have to listen to you anymore. I've already made my conclusion that I'm right. And of course, heels are dug in and now there's no movement and there's certainly not going to be a compromise. Allowing yourself an opportunity to say, hey, let's see what your perspective is. Let's see where my logic might be faulty. Inviting that criticism instead of staunchly coming in and saying, I'm without critique here because I'm actually right and you're wrong. So that's a key distinction in conflict that I think eludes a lot of us when we're trying to prove that we're right. We've logic, we've thought about it, (laughs) we've spun the situation in our heads, and we have come to the conclusion that we are right and the other person is wrong. I've yet to see a conflict end where that's the way it sorted itself out, where the other person agreed, you know what, I am wrong, you're right, here you go, AJ, here's your cookie. Never happens that way, (laughs) right? A good negotiation a good compromise is both sides allowing themselves to feel like they were right to a degree even
1: if there was a level of wrongness on one side once again we're not arguing about who's right we're arguing about the best idea for both parties
0: exactly the win-win is the goal here the win-lose is not the goal and that's what brings us to our fourth point Taking responsibility and how the first person to take responsibility actually controls the situation. The first person to take ownership has control versus the person of low value who, when that problem arises, just points fingers at the other person and says, they've wronged me,
1: they've harmed me, they've screwed me over. And so by taking responsibility for the situation before you even goes in, allows the other party to relax and calm down. The thing that they worry about most is it being their fault. So
0: if they're already coming out guns blazing, it's your fault. It's your fault. And you go, yeah, you know, it is my fault. So let's figure out a solution. Well, that dissolves a lot of the problem, right? Because now we're not arguing about whose fault it is. We've already conceded that position. And now we can get to a position of, well, how do we come to a conclusion here? How do we get to a solution? We can get so hung up on who to blame and who's at fault that we never Come to a compromise. We never come to a conclusion.
1: Once again, the big picture is resolution. And you can't move forward unless some party takes some part of the responsibility. And we've talked about it on this show all the time. There's other incredible podcasts such as Jocko Willink, who says the same thing of a place of control from a place of power. If you take responsibility, you're in a driver's seat. And it does not matter whether or not you are responsible for the problem. Let's take delve it.
0: into that because I know that's the most challenging point we're going to make today Yeah, people listening. It's like, what do you mean? Why would I take responsibility when I'm not wrong? I don't understand what you're doing here. Let's break that down a
1: little bit more. What do you mean by that, Johnny? We are looking to move this forward. And this is what's really important about conflict. We are looking for agreement anywhere we can get it. It's called a wise agreement. From the authors that you had just mentioned at the top of the hour, They have a book, Getting to a Yes, that I found very informative. I really enjoyed it. And it was short and sweet and to the point. We want to get in an agreement anywhere we can, which allows the other party to soften up and allow us to begin dialogue. If I roll into a conflict and I say, you know what? This is my fault. I will take care of this. The other party, it's easy for them to go, yeah, okay, you're right. And that's an agreement. And what they don't know is they have just allowed us to come together. And they've also allowed me to take control. And they've also put themselves in a position to where they are beginning to feel that they're a part of the resolution, that they are working with you towards the agreement. And that's just it, right?
0: It starts with a small yes. It starts with a, yeah, I can see some agreement there that paves the way to the greater agreement. But we're not gonna reach an agreement if every single turn is no, you're wrong, no you're the one responsible. No, it's not me. So we can diffuse that by saying, you know what? You're right. I take
1: responsibility for that. I screwed that up. Let's figure out how to solve it. The other thing that's important about that is taking responsibility of it as soon as possible, as quickly as you can, because if both of you are squabbling for a while and it doesn't happen until later, you're losing the power of it that you could have by immediately taking it up front. So understanding that that
0: is very valuable right? That position is very valuable when you've taken responsibility, diffused that initial response of you're wrong, I'm right. And now we can actually turn things around to, well, we're gaining agreement. We're getting some movement here. Things are going our way. We want to make sure that we're talking about the problem and not the people. This is a key distinction. When we're talking about taking responsibility, we're talking about taking responsibility for the problem. We're not talking about pointing fingers at other people's mistakes and other people's wrongs along the way. When we're trying to reach an agreement or end the conflict, the worst thing that we can do is point out other times this person has wronged us or other times this person has been in the wrong. That's just going to further form this heel digging and
1: not allow us to get to that conclusion. And the reason that people will go to that is there is a instant gratification knowing that they can point that finger. But it's not, as you mentioned, it just digs their heels in further. And then all of a sudden, that position that we talked about avoiding starts to look more comfortable. Yeah.
0: I mean, you become the problem, not the solution, (laughs) right? The solution goes out the window when we start dragging in past actions that have really no relevance to the initial conflict. So understanding that, What we're talking about here is taking responsibility for the problem, not pointing the finger at other actions or not blaming the person, as in, this is you. You are completely wrong, Johnny. It's like, no, we had a problem. I accept responsibility. I screwed up. So let's get to the resolution. How do I get my car back? How do I get things moving here? This one, number
1: five, is probably the trickiest one. We were talking about an article that AJ is going to bring up in a bit that helps us with this. Being able to use lens and empathy to understand the other side's issues with the conflict. And when I talk about lens and empathy are two different things. Lens is being able to see the problem from the other person's point of view. Empathy is being able to feel the problem from the other person's point of view. Those are two different things. Right. So you can see something without feeling the emotion
0: and you can feel the emotion without actually seeing the whole side. So understanding that the best negotiators, the people who handle conflict really well, have the capability of looking through the other person's lens and feeling
1: empathy for being on the other side of that table. The other thing about it is when you can feel how the other person's feeling, you are more apt to help them with that. You're able to find some solutions to how they feel about that problem that they might not be able to articulate because, once again, if you're dealing with somebody who is a little bit of lower value, they're trying not to get in trouble. They can only deal with their feelings and they don't want to say anything or do anything that worsens the the issue. By you being that high-value person, learning about lens, learning about empathy, all of a sudden, the hesitation, the reservations that the other party might have might be clear to you and now you're a better apt to give them the win-win that they were looking for. And that's what we were
0: alluding to with point three, right? Point three of stop arguing from your position. This is taking it a step further. Start understanding the other person's point of view and the other person's feelings, because often the solution lies there. Yes. Handling their feelings, handling their point of view more than it lies in whatever position is right or wrong.
1: I see a recurring theme of the answer is always in the other person, <laughs> right? We keep saying that whether it's conflict, whether it's, a first impression. It's about listening to what the other party has to say. And if they're unable to articulate what that is, then you putting yourself in their position so you can figure out what it is. So you can figure out exactly how to
0: get to that compromise, right? And everything comes back to the compromise. The more we start digging our heels in, the more we start looking for ways to find the other person wrong, the less likely we are to get
1: to the bottom line here. And there might be some things that are playing out that you're just not privy to because of gender or socioeconomic background or race. I mean, there's so many different plays, And the only way that you're going to be able to see that is getting better at better at tools such as lens or empathy. What we want to focus on here is
0: understanding that sometimes there are values and beliefs that the opposition has that might hinder our ability to get to a compromise if we don't check that box. So for example, maybe they want to feel responsibility for the solution. They don't want to concede, but they also don't want you to be the problem solver. Maybe their ego says they have to be the one that's right. They have to be the problem solver. Well, if we can use lens or empathy to see that, well, we can reach compromise a lot cleaner and a lot quicker and efficiently than if we were to just blast the other person with how they're wrong from our point of view. So understanding that the other person's value system comes into play here, what they care about, how can we take care of that ego component, that emotional component that comes into play here when we're in conflict.
1: And it's nothing that they could just easily get rid of if they just try. It's about temperament. It's about hereditary positions, right? Of Like how they're raised, who their parents are, that is core to their being that they're unable to separate.
0: And it took me a while to realize this. Single dad raised me and my sister. My mom was abusive when we were very young. My dad won custody and my mom was pretty much out of me and my sister's lives. It was so interesting for me with my dad being conflict averse and the silent treatment being the way we handled (laughs) a lot of conflict. You know, I started dating this very fiery girl in college. And her family upbringing was the opposite. <laughs> Put it on the Fights <laughs> in their house were Common. world war. It was bomb throwing. It was you got to get it all out and you got to emotionally hurt the other person to prove your point to win the fight. And that was the first time that I had really encountered that from someone that I cared deeply about, right? And I could never wrap my head around the fact that I was retreating. And I was like, if I just avoid this, then the problem's over. So I'm not throwing bombs. And I'm going, why is she continuing to throw these bombs and trying to provoke me? After about a year of this, she finally broke it down for me. It was like, when I don't get anything from you, it just angers me even more. more. I want to know you care. And I want to know you care by you throwing bombs back at me. And it blew my mind, right? Here I was like, well, that doesn't sound like a solution to me. Us fighting and dragging all this other past into the conversation how does that move things forward yep. <laughs> but that's what we're talking about with this upbringing right taking a step back and going well wait a second the person across the table from me how are they raised what do they value what do they care about what are their priorities in this situation when we
1: can start to see those things we can come to a conclusion and a resolution a lot easier i think that's one of those things that no one looks at as a potential partner in their hashing out conflict battle strategies and you'll never know what that strategy is who you find yourself in it and next thing you know it's something that you have never seen dealt with ever in your life and now you have to figure out how you're going to engage with that and that's as you were saying like that was quite a shock for you to see that when in the past it's been in another direction
0: yeah my first (laughs) instinct was to withdraw even more right i just want to get in my car and leave yeah she's like where the hell are you going we got to flesh this out we got to handle this now
1: when two people are heading back at each other it can be a very good way of going about it if both parties have lines but if you're not used to that and you're getting hurled all kind of stuff coming your direction and it's hitting buttons that you didn't know you even had that's a very scary thing and that's, once again you need to know if you can battle with somebody before you get in a relationship. <laughs> a hard well, relationship. listen, you know, the honeymoon phase
0: is over and the gloves come off and you start to see how people really react in those situations. And that was shocking to me because I had not really encountered that. You know, growing up I had seen friends' parents fight and I had seen obviously conflicts on TV and movies, but that was the first time where I encountered someone who loved me to my core and I loved yeah. back, who was so willing to hurl everything at me and cut me down. And then get upset with me when I'm not willing to go the route, that back and shine the mirror right back at them.
1: I got another one for you that goes along with that. And I think this is just the world we live in today with the technology. I was dating somebody. I remember there was the first argument sort of thing. And then they just posted the whole thing on social media. And I'm like, what are you doing? And they're like, well, I didn't put your name on it. But my friends know exactly who you're talking about and your friends know exactly who you're talking about. She's like, this is how I air my problems and work through them. I'm like, no way. Everyone has their ways of going about it and it may or may not correspond and work with how you handle things.
0: Right, it can be turned up on 11. (laughs) And I know Johnny and I both have a privacy issue, right? We love and enjoy our privacy. We're not very public people. When you find someone in your life that you care about who's willing to just air this dirty laundry and has no privacy issues whatsoever it can be quite shocking you're like wait a second here I didn't need my friends to know all this stuff about me and how we fight and what's going on here
1: oh but I didn't put your name on it gee thanks (laughs)
0: One of the upcoming episodes, a series of episodes, really, in the future here is how to deal with psychopaths, sociopaths, and idiots. How do we maintain our frame and stay high value when the people around us might not mentally be all there? And in doing some of the research for this, I stumbled across a really interesting article that came out recently in The Atlantic about how psychopaths see the world. I know there's a hit Netflix show about prison inmates and trying to figure out what's going on with their psyche. Well, this is a real-world example. So some Yale University scientists studied some inmates in Connecticut. And these are inmates who've been convicted of violent crimes, and you can assume that they're psychopaths. And by definition, psychopaths have problems understanding the emotions of other people, which makes a lot of sense, right? Mm-hmm. They act in ways that seem irrational to most people. What the research really centered around is this idea of being able to take the other person's perspective. For most of us, this is an automatic thing. This is just default. When we're acting, we can very quickly see how those actions would impact the other person.
1: And I think the older you get, you get more in tune with that as well. as a skill set. But this is
0: default for normal adults. And what this research showed that was really interesting is psychopaths have no difficulty in understanding the other person's perspective based on this experiment. They only do that when it suits them. So it's a choice for them. We don't have that choice. It's something that is default in all of us. We mentalize automatically. Even from infancy, our minds involuntarily seep into our own. The same thing apparently happens, it's just less strongly in psychopaths.
1: Out of all the animals, we have the biggest brains. And that brain was developed because our social constructs are that complex. We need all that extra brain power to game out all these different actions and behaviors and how they'll directly benefit or hurt us in that social landscape.
0: And the key here is they can turn it on when it helps them and they can ignore it when it doesn't help them. (laughs) So now when you're dealing with- How convenient. Exactly. When you're dealing with someone who falls on this scale, you can now take a step back and realize that what you're seeing that seems so irrational to you is something that they're manipulating as a choice and it's deliberate which was really fascinating. So we'll link this up in the show notes and we're going to be delving deeper into this topic. But it was a fascinating article and Johnny and I decided, we were chatting with the team, the producer here of the show, and we felt that it'd be fun to give you guys a little sneak peek on some podcasts, articles, and books that we've been chewing on recently. So that was an example from the past week that popped up for us. Jumping back into conflict resolution, the sixth point we want to make, we're going down 10 ways to be more effective in conflict, how to be high value in these heavy-duty conflict situations. Number six is team speak, allowing the other person to see that your position is not counter their position. In fact, you guys are working towards the resolution as a team instead of this adversarial nature. So what do we mean by team speak, Johnny?
1: Well, if I say things like, I know that together we can work through this. And this allows the other person to go, oh, we're working on this together. And a lot of times, if you're dealing with somebody of lower value or even a high value person, they just want to feel that they've been heard by using team speak, You can bypass a lot of that and just addressing it as you're both working on it together. will put them in a position or like, yeah, yeah, we did work on that together. They feel that they're consciously working through that with you. And it sets the
0: frame of win-win. When we're teammates, we're both going to win. If we're adversarial, only one of us is going to win. So it allows you to set the frame properly for the other person to see, oh, a solution that works for both of us, I can get behind that versus a solution that only benefits AJ. Well, screw AJ. I don't want to benefit AJ. It's a totally different dynamic. So we have a little homework assignment for you. You can listen into the show. You want to start improving this area of your life. You want to get these tools in order before you're in that conflict. Try using TeamSpeak as often as possible over the next couple weeks. When you're talking with friends, when you're talking with family members, when you're talking with your coworkers, speak from the we instead of the me. How can I get TeamSpeak in my form of communication with everyone in my life so that when I go into these situations where it's conflict, I can default to a high value position easily? It's not something you have to switch on.
1: You know, it's interesting. Do you know who does this really well and are trained from an early age to do this really well? Who's that? Athletes. It's all one, right? There's no I in team. And when you watch a lot of these guys, they don't just interview anyone. They interview the guys that they are allowed to interview because those are the guys who team speak the best. And if you are articulate and you can speak in that way and everyone is included, then you're going to find more opportunities of that you'll be pushed to the front. And being a team player,
0: it certainly helps you in conflict, but it helps you when you're not in conflict. Yep. It sets you up so that when you do fall into those conflict situations, the other person doesn't have such a negative, dim view of you. Instead, they see you as someone who is capable of getting to that resolution. And that's key. Number seven, knowing what you want. That is a big one, right? What is your ultimate goal? What would be the awesome solution for you? Sometimes we can enter into conflict and have no idea what that resolution would be.
1: Well, if we're going to go out of the way to take responsibility and put all the control and power onto our shoulders to work through this, then why am I going to hand the ball to the other guy and go, how do you want to finish this? (laughs) This is a person who refused to take responsibility. He refused to speak up, who didn't want to get blamed for anything. And now you're going to ask them what they want out of this. This is why if you're going to take responsibility, if you're going to start working, go through all these hoops to work towards this resolution, you better know what you want at the end of this. You better have
0: a resolution in (laughs) mind or it's going to be very hard to get there. Starting out the situation with an end goal in mind, thinking from both perspectives here, right? using that lens and empathy, going back to the earlier point, allowing yourself to see the solution is going to allow yourself to get to the solution.
1: And it doesn't have to be written in stone of that's what I get or else. It's something to shoot for and you work to get as close to that as possible. I know that it's difficult to
0: see the end when sometimes you are not dealt a good hand when it comes to conflict. It can be difficult to see the end when you don't have the tools to deal with conflict well. But doing that preparation, if you know you're going to be in conflict start to think what could be a reasonable solution for you and what could be a reasonable solution for the other person. And then we can form a Venn diagram and start to see where things overlap, right? Where we can get those agreements. The more we can establish agreement, even if it's on small things, the less likely we're going to be in a situation that the conflict blows up in our face. Because once we can start getting some yeses and start getting some agreement, we're getting movement in the right direction it's going to be even more difficult for that person then to push back as we're trying to get to the final resolution. But if we don't get any agreement and we have no idea where we want to go, well, we're going to be in conflict
1: for a very long time. Absolutely. And I think to also help your cause is to have a few different options laid out that you've already put together. Obviously, you enjoy all of them, but it gives the other party an opportunity to pick one where now they feel that was me. And here's the other thing about this, right? We want to be able to figure out, essentially,
0: where is the give for us? Where is the give for the other person, right? Where is there some wiggle room? We know where there's not wiggle room. We're pretty clear on that oftentimes when we're in conflict. But thinking about where the other person has some wiggle room and where there isn't wiggle room for them is another way for you to start to see the bigger picture of what's going on in this conflict and not get so down in the muck or the weeds of just the ego and emotion fighting. This dovetails nicely with what we're talking about. Number eight here is options. Understanding the options to the resolution. If we don't understand what the various resolutions can be, well then we're basically fighting blind and we're fighting for no real reason, right? Which is only gonna lead to more digging in the heels and more spiraling out of
1: control. A lot of what we're doing here is we're doing all the work that makes it easier for the other party just to point, just to pick. And it may sound on the other end of like, well, that's a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, and I'm willing to do it because I want to do things my way. I want to move forward. I want things to take place. There's certain end results that need certain milestones to be built before I could get there. And it's an understanding
0: that, listen, solutions don't just magically happen. Solutions don't just fall into your lap. You got to plan for them. You got to put in a little bit of legwork here, but it's a heck of a lot better to put in the preparation than it is to deal with the conflict spiraling out of control. So understanding what are the options, where is their agreement, where are their resolutions that overlap is an important way to start dealing with the conflict before you actually get to the negotiation table, before you actually start the argument. And Johnny, you mentioned here the cake division tactic. Can you break this down for the audience?
1: You have two children who are arguing over a piece of cake and how they're gonna split it. Okay, well, what's the easiest way to go about this? You have one, cut it, and the other one, choose the piece that they want. That way, you could be sure that they'll work together to get a win-win situation. Because if you know that you're, well, I'm just gonna cut it this way, well, he's gonna take the bigger piece, well, then you better cut it well.
0: Right, so now it's forcing that lens and empathy that we're talking about. It's funny how allowing the other person to say, okay, I'm gonna give you these options, Let's hear some of your options. Now we have a much better handle on where we can find that solution. Because a lot of times when the emotions get involved, it's hard for us to find these options now. It's very difficult for us in the moment when you're staring down the other person in conflict to realize that there's common ground. And that's where we get to that agreement. Number nine delves deeply into what is a huge focus for us here at The Art of Charm. Understanding a lot of what we talked about so far has been around verbal communication. What we haven't really touched on until now is, well, what's going on non-verbally in conflict? Because a lot of times what's going on non-verbally in conflict
1: can make or break that resolution. I could ask you and the audience to visualize, right? If I asked you to argue from position, right, you would know what that would sound like. Well, I think this, and this is the way I feel about it, this is the way it's going to be. No, no, no. Well, how would you state that with body language, right? It's closing off steadfast in your seat or the way you're standing trying to look as forceful and hard as possible. But once again, just as well as if you're arguing from a position you're going to cause the other person to, if my body language is hardened on my position, you can bet that the other person is going to mirror that because they don't want to be beat out of their position. When we're
0: in that confrontational mode, right, we're fully facing the other person, we're positive, it's very hard to see a resolution at all. It goes out the window. You feel this spotlight of pressure on you. and. Back in the day, in the earlier years of AOC, we had a business partner who was a bit gruff. And we would always have Monday meetings. And in those meetings, inevitably, we would have conflict. We couldn't agree on where to take things. His favorite tactic was to get to the front of the room, grab the marker, take over the whiteboard, and pound his chest until we all saw his point of view. And oftentimes, we didn't. We'd end up sitting on the couch, crossing our arms, rolling our eyes. We don't want to hear this anymore. We don't want to be berated. So what did I do? I diffused the situation by after these meetings, when everyone had dug in their heels and everyone was frustrated, I would go on a hike with them. And just the simple act of hiking together. Now we're in neutral body language. We're facing the same direction. We're walking up the hill together. We're talking over our shoulders to one another instead of this face-to-face, confrontational body language. And I tell you, by the end of that hour and a half on the hill, We heard both sides. We were able to come to a resolution. And oftentimes, no one's ego was bruised in the process. And that's when I started to really realize this concept of body language outside of just socializing, right? We focus on how can we use our body language to nail that first impression? How can we use that body language to put the other person at ease? This was the first time where it really started to click
1: for me, well, wait a second, this body language is important in conflict too. Having to understand that Every meeting is going to result in you going on a. <laughs> on well, a Johnny would often uh, laugh.
0: Where are you guys going after
1: these meetings? Yeah, you're on on for like three hours. Got to go on another hike to, and that can only last for so long before you to be like, I don't have all this time to deal with this guy with baby gloves, and of course, with an attitude like that, with somebody who's being uncooperative, having to go through all these hoops to make anything go forward. That's how you lose your place in a company. It wears you down as a team where you
0: think you got agreement until the following Monday when you realize (laughs) that everything that was agreed upon, air quotes, was actually never agreed upon and we're back to that same tired riff. Understanding, hey, what we're talking about here is not just verbal, but it's also the nonverbal side of things. Are we utilizing our body language to be open to compromise, to be open to the other person's perspective, or are we digging in our heels by closing our body language? and getting confrontational with our body language. The final point we wanna make, number 10, for those of you following along to our little list here, number 10, looking for agreement anywhere you can get it, and getting that yes moves you closer to the goal. We started to allude to it, but this is that Venn diagram that I'm talking about. When you have all the options out on the table, you've thought about what you want, you've done everything you can from a team speak and a mental perspective and a nonverbal perspective, It's looking at that Venn diagram and saying, well, where are we in agreement? Where is this overlap where options fit for both parties? And starting there, because if we just focus on where we don't agree, we're not getting anywhere. But if we can start meeting in the middle and working from there out, we can come to a resolution where both parties feel like they won. And that's the win-win
1: that we started today with. With understanding these, it gives you an opportunity to practice conflict and practice these skills. And I want to point out that you don't need to be in conflict to practice these skills, right? The first one is to be optimistic. Okay, well, I could do that on a daily basis. Number two, detach yourself from emotions. Well, that is something you could do. Journaling. Start working well, ho- on it, meditating. Journaling. Yeah, meditating, journaling. Take responsibility for things. Easy, you could do that in everyday life. Lens and empathy. The more you learn about other people, the more you travel, learn about other cultures. It's going to be an opportunity for you to better understand your fellow man. Number six, team speak. As I made mention, athletes do this rather well, and you challenge everyone to practice that. Uh, knowing what you want when it comes to the options, easily something you can do on your own. And of course, body language. We've been talking about it and getting that agreement. Now that all those are something that you can do on your own and start to get better on. Once you start working with these things, you're like, okay, I I can manage this. I'm seeing myself grow in these few areas. Time to put it all together. And it doesn't mean that you need to wait for that to happen. I, myself, when I started learning about conflict resolution, and as I said, I was nervous about conflict and avoided it because I just kept blowing up in my face and I didn't have a plan. Once I had a plan, it was, where's conflict at? Because I want to get better at it. So how did you find conflict, Johnny? just seems it kind of follows me around. But if you're one of those people who just doesn't seem to come around, I would suggest get a sort of job or join a group that would have a lot of conflict. For myself, when I was learning about this, I just happened to be working in the service industry. And I remember I was bartending one night. And once I was learning all these skills, I would fling myself into any conflict I could just to see how well I was doing at these things and if I could climb my way out. And what I found was the more conflict I put myself in, the more I was, I got better at these tools and the more I found myself climbing out. I've also found myself that put myself into some conflicts that I couldn't get myself out of. Didn't need to be in, (laughs) Didn't need to be in, couldn't get out of. And I think those are where you learn the most. I remember I was bartending and I saw my, the manager of the restaurant that I was working at, she had been in an argument with a customer. And for me at this time, it was da-da-da-da. Here's where I rip off my shirt, show my S on my chest, and go over there and take care of this for her. And I knew something was up. The minute I got over there, she beelined out of there. The manager took off like, oh, well, here, Johnny will talk to you. And she just ran. It was at that moment I went, ah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so I looked up at the guy who, I, who had the problem. It was this bill. He had felt that he had gotten charged for some things he didn't ask for. And I also realized in that moment that he started talking to me that he was wasted. So you can imagine that all these rules that we had just talked about. Could
0: kind of go out the window.
1: Out the window. He could give a shit less. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Doesn't matter how many options you're putting on the table. Didn't it
1: matter. And more so than working to a win-win, he just wanted to berate me and yell and just get it off his chest to feel better. It was in that moment. I was like, have at it, buddy. Go ahead, just say what you need to. I got it. (laughs) No, no
0: tools for that one. Just let me have it.
1: But you can work on this and with these tactics and have some fun with it. That was our hope today, that rather than avoiding conflict, that you take it upon yourself to uh, see an opportunity to grow when it arises and work through it with some of these tactics. In listening to this, just take a
0: look back at some of the conflicts in your life and see how these points we made fit or don't fit with your experiences. If we didn't cover one that's been very effective for you, we'd love to hear them as well. So we hope you had some fun and now you have some tools to better handle the conflict in your life. These are things that took Johnny and I decades to understand and put into practice and they've started to pay some dividends for us personally and professionally. All right, Johnny, that was a great episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did covering those 10 ways to stay high value in conflict and ultimately get to the win-win situation that both sides are looking for. You can find us on social media at The Art of Charm. Love to hear from you. If you're enjoying the show on Instagram or Twitter, reach out to us. Or if you have some topics you would like Johnny and I to do a deep dive in upcoming episodes. As always, you can find us at theartofcharm.com. And if you're interested in learning more about our in-person training, you can find that at theartofcharm.com bootcamp. Once again, thanks to our sponsors, FreshBooks and Acuity Scheduling. We look forward to chatting with you next week.